0: Hello, 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 welcome back to the Lime Podcast, my name is Aaron Alexander, and in today's beautiful episode, well firstly, today's intro, I'm recording off of my laptop recorder microphone because I didn't bring my microphone along with me as I am um, here in Marin County, just coming back from a four day workshop music festival hybrid. Delio called symbiosis super super great learned how to make rope out of out of plant fiber learned how to drop my booty like it's hot and uh, a wide variety of really really fun things happen there but no microphone so i apologize for the for the less than fantastic sound quality in this introduction um today's beautiful guest was miss sarah ballantyne And uh, she is, you guys, once again, I'm sure you guys have heard of her already. She is New York Times bestselling author of the book Paleo Approach. She's got a uh, top-ranked podcast called Paleo View Podcast. Um, She's all sorts of great stuff. She's got like a doctorate in medical biophysics, I believe. She's like really, really smart. Um, So really fun conversation. In this conversation, we got into why it is important to have the uh, following the the pattern of the sun why it's important to get hot why it's important to get cold all these correlates with in relation to depression and overall health um and kind of went down an interesting and i think very important wormhole in relation to autoimmunity that was the big thing and uh how and why our systems end up freaking attacking our systems <laughs> and how so there could be uh, correlates in relation to um, things like self hatred, and, um, and so how this kind of psychosomatic thing can manifest into being a physiological, uh, full on nuclear warfare against yourself. Really super interesting conversation.
1: You know, hunter gatherers sleep more in the winter than they do in the summer. That's a really important thing we don't have seasonality in our indoor temperatures we don't have seasonality in our sleep schedules right we use indoor lighting oh the suns go down I just turn on the light and um and that messes with our sleep quality because it's sending the wrong signals to our brain our sleep is regulated by how our brain senses that it's day or night and if it's light out our brains can't tell it's night
0: thank you so much for tuning into the website aligntherapy.com that is A-L-I-G-N therapy.com on there you will find hundreds of free videos in relation to self-care and functional movement You will find the self-care kit hollow foam roller two different size matter release fascia release bowls Band door anchor screw on lids put all that crap inside of that foam roller So you got all the tools that you need in one little package. That's on the website um Thanks so much for the reviews. I got uh, <laughs> some ridiculous and fantastic five-star reviews in relation to, what was the one? I don't remember what it was exactly. Something about Aaron Alexander's like a combination of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kermit the Frog, and a in their college physiology professor or something like that. I thought that was just great. Um, thanks so much for uh, tuning in. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for the support and um, yeah. That's what we got. Um, I don't have any quotes or anything like that today. I am um I'm kinda kinda hearing my voice. I'm like kind of coming down with something. So I'm gonna try and take care of myself and uh get on top of that thing. So enjoy the mother flipping podcast with Sarah Ballantine and one thing. Um, as you know, I have a Amazon link on the website on the right hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page, por favor, go in there and bookmark that every time you buy anything on Amazon, I get like 7% of that purchase to help support this podcast. Keep us, uh, advertisement free. All right. Thanks for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, enjoy the episode. Wow, wow,
1: wow. Podcast.
0: You look very clear and bright and beautiful this morning, Sarah.
1: Thank you. I will take all of those things.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. I um, I say that to everybody. It just, it just loosens people up. No, even
1: even if it's a dark hole they're sitting in. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, I really actually that's the first thing that I thought when I saw you. I was, I was like, that's that's great. Looking good. I like it. I
1: have like a setup thing, with a light. That's what it is. Microphone. <laughs>
0: That's good. Yeah, I'm accustomed. It's actually
1: my second video interview in a row today, so I like made my hair look something. Yeah, Yeah.
0: no, it's 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 good. How do I look? Amazing. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, the main. Do you know anything about this podcast or anything like that?
1: Nope. I just agreed to do it because I don't know. You seemed charming when I met you.
0: Right. Well, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, so, essentially, what I would really love to get into with you, I like to kind of draw these correlations between physical, mental, emotional. Is something that I find really interesting because there's so many different, there's so much information that like is Googleable, but kind of getting into like your felt experience with things and kind of how you navigated that, I find that interesting. I'm recording right now, by the way.
1: Amazing. Okay.
0: Fabulous. Yeah. So.
1: So I feel bad for all that swearing I just did. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, But yeah. So can you kind of set the stage a little bit for how crummy things were when you were in kind of like the low point? Like what that looked like and kind of just to get a sense. Because I think it's so amazing like how far you've come. I didn't get to know you at that point, but it's impressive.
1: So, I mean... I honestly feel like I've hit multiple different low points and I mean it was almost like low points of different colors almost. Hmm. So um, I mean I think that really the beginning of this journey came from being an overweight teenager. Um, My weight never correlated with my choices. So, you know, I had a like hippie mother who bought all the organic stuff at the co-op and we grew our own food and we gathered wild edibles and we fished cause we lived near the ocean. And so we were eating, I mean, it wasn't a gluten-free diet by any stretch, but we were eating whole foods, organic foods, fresh foods, a lot of wild foods, um, and things that, you know, are known to be health promoting, Um, and I was biking, you know, I would get home from school and hop on my bike for a couple hours, Um, so I was cycling a lot, I walked a mile and a half to and from the bus stop every day, Um, so I was an active kid, and, you know, the food that we had access to was really high quality food. And I just kept gaining weight and I thought it was my fault. Like there was this culture in my family that was a sort of a blame centered culture, I think. So it was just always like, she must be sneaking food. She must be eating something at school. And I would think that like the one time in three weeks I could afford the 60 cents for an ice cream sandwich from the school canteen was my problem. And like, meanwhile, there were kids whose lunches were just solid junk food and they were thin. And I, I could never understand why it wasn't like that for me. And so it ended up completely eroding my self-confidence, um, ended up being very defeatist about choices and it ended up leading to very bad food, like food choices and lifestyle choices because I felt like nothing I did worked. And I can look back now and go, well, my thyroid wasn't working like, I know now that all of that what like that when the math doesn't add up, there's something wrong. Yeah. And yeah. so I know now that was thyroid issues, but it set the stage for me to have a couple of things. One is my metric of health for most of my teens, twenties, early thirties was if I'm thin, I'm healthy, which I don't believe now. Right. Um, and it, really undermined how I viewed myself. So it really made me feel like I was a failure, like I wasn't worth anything. Like I wasn't worth the effort. I wasn't worth a financial investment into a gym membership. I wasn't worth, um, new clothes. Like it, it just, um, so I had this very sort of extremely low self-esteem and in all of this, I, you know, I ended up morbidly obese. Um, I don't actually even know how heavy I was at my heaviest. I stopped weighing myself at two sixty-five, but I gained two clothing sizes after that. So that should be about another 30 pounds. So I was probably knocking on the door of 300 pounds and I just kept having like a diagnosis out on it, added on a diagnosis. Added, so I had, asthma, and acid reflux, and irritable bowel syndrome, and I had scalp psoriasis, and then I developed this skin condition called lichen planus, and I had eczema, and I had horrible acne, and uh, you know my hair was always falling out, and um, I had uh, repetitive strain injuries, and carpal tunnel syndrome, and then I ended up pre-diabetic, and I had high blood pressure, and I just started to, I saw myself as being genetically weak. I saw myself as, like, I used to say, like, oh, it's a good thing for modern medicine. I'd be dead 200 times without it. And, um, and I, I believed it. You know, I believed that without all the medications I was on, without antibiotics 8 to 10 times a year, that, um, that I wouldn't be healthy. But I wasn't, like, I wasn't healthy. Um, and so then even when I lost weight, I lost weight and my uh, borderline type 2 diabetes went away and my blood pressure normalized. And all of the other conditions that I had continued to get worse. And then I was really forced into looking at my health in terms of being more complex than just my weight. Um, But at that low, I was sore. Everything hurt. Um, I fibromyalgia, so everything hurt. Um, I was super ambitious and working 80 to hundred hour weeks. Um, I was depressed. Um, I was having anxiety attacks. Um, the first time I had one, it was so bad. I thought it was a heart attack and went to the ER. Um, I was angry. I had a lot of jealousy issues. Um, I had a lot of compulsive behaviors. So like binge eating disorder. Um, and I covered up my lack of self-esteem with, uh, fire engine red hair and, um, uh, uh, business suits and, um, a lot of, Cursing, and um and kind of this tough you know assertive you know flip off the boss when he's being a jerk, even though the boss is you know the head of cardiology um, and I you know, I had this like I mean just these layers of um, pretending to be tough and pretending to be cool and pretending to be confident to make up for how little I valued myself.
0: Mm. And so uh, with peeling the layers back and starting to kind of reconstruct yourself, you know, I think it's really, it's, it's interesting. I've been looking a lot into autoimmunity and, um, the self hatred that could potentially be, be a component of that, you know, whether if you want to go down that rabbit hole, it sounds like you do. It sounds like it's something that a hole you already explored. Um, what's the reconstruction process and maybe like the recognition process and that whole confronting it?
1: I think it's so multifaceted because I think that for me, diagnosis was important. Um, so understanding that my immune system was attacking my body, um, was information that I needed to be able to start making better food choices, making better lifestyle choices. Um, And so that was a really critical part of my health journey, was just the uh, motivation to choose healing foods and um, live an active lifestyle and go to bed at a good time and figure out ways to de-stress. And I think that those, as those healthy choices began to physically improve my health, there was this lag of the mental health kind of coming up behind, but part of, part of getting to a healthier mental state out of all of this and learning to love myself and respect myself and honor myself out of all this, it was a slow, just a really slow build. So it took feeling better physically. It took, um, starting to like what I saw in the mirror. So it sort of took like my skin clearing and my, you know, hair becoming thicker and starting to feel attractive in clothes. You know, I'd go get a new outfit and be like, yeah. Um, But it also took a lot of reflection and finding a way to forgive myself. So there was this part where when I discovered that I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis, my symptoms started when I was seven. I was diagnosed when I was 37. Um, That suddenly made me able to look back at these struggles of my teens and twenties and really sort of absolve myself of the guilt, right? Like, I was making, I mean, at least at the beginning, I was making good choices, but I can, I hit definitely a really long window of time where my choices were not such good choices, but I was able to kind of look back and understand how that all came about and how, you know, of course, everything I did didn't make any difference to my weight. I just kept putting weight on in my teens and no doctor even looked at my thyroid levels until my 20s. And then they said, oh, it's low. We'll keep an eye on it. And they never investigated it further or treated it. And I can look at that now in a way that makes me go, okay, you know, it wasn't my fault. I need to look at how those experiences made me who I am now and look at the things I'm doing with my life now that are like really amazing and helping other people take control of their health without hitting the lows that I had to hit and look at myself as the sum of those experiences, which means I can't regret those experiences. I can't regret the lows because they made this high. Um, and so, you know, coming from this place of not liking myself and not valuing myself to a place where, um, not that I always, have amazing self-confidence but I have a whole lot more than I used to I mean it's, there's always self-doubt I think that's part of a natural navigating life thing um it was such a slow build it was such a the small successes and um I think getting to a headspace where I could celebrate the successes instead of sort of perseverating on the failures. And I mean, I I would think it was, it was years. It was years from that low to this high. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah. And you could reframe it and, you know, be completely grateful, say thank you for those experiences because it's, it's created who you are. You know, it's like so many people, my mom does this. I was talking to her yesterday. She was talking about like, Oh, I'm so sorry. This stuff happened with you and you're, you know, family and we all have something like mom like it's like i have nothing but gratitude for it like it's the complete opposite and i think that has a cellular physiological impact by carrying that guilt or carrying that weight of like oh if only you know but yeah it's it's just a reframe away
1: <laughs> so for for me i um i can't trade it right like so many of us go you know i want to erase this thing that happened right and i know that the, um, way that I interact with my followers, right. That connection that I have with them comes from a common experience of misery, I guess, in a lot of ways, but it comes from, you know, me having a past that's relatable and it, my ambition and my drive and my work ethic comes from growing up in pain with low energy and um still caring about what I did with my life. And so those those experiences forced me to develop a skill set that is now the skill set I use to write books, to um you know, have a vibrant online community, to have the website resource that I've created um and all of the other projects that I take on, that is because I cared about my grades and i was sick and i figured out how to work even though i didn't feel well so then when you take away feeling sick and low energy and pain all the time all that's left is this you know work ethic and drive well that's amazing cuz now look at what i can do with that skill that i developed out of necessity in that low yeah.
0: i wonder I, have you ever put any thought into this kind of collective Autoimmune disease that I think Western culture is experiencing with like hyper of everything, and it's like we have more bacteria in our bodies than stars in the sky, and we have little mites crawling around our lashes sucking on sebaceous glands. Like, and we're like, "Get them off!" Like, do you have any sense of like like where that comes from? Because like, I feel like people are starting to recognize it, but like, what the hell is that?
1: I think there was, I mean, I think when you look at sort of the history of hygiene, right? So, you know, we discovered before we really understood germs that hygienic procedures protected the spread of virulent disease. So we understood that if you wash surgical instruments between surgeries, that there was a lower probability that a wound would get infected. Um, You know, we discovered that if we wash our hands, the spread of, you know, the flu is not as great. Mm -hmm. And then we started to understand germs, right? We understood the bad things way before we understood the good things. So then we understood germs from a, these make us sick. We need to get rid of them. Here's how soap gets rid of them. Here's how antibiotics gets rid of them. And now we understand that we're much more complex than that, that yes, there's pathogens out there, but we're actually not a single being, but a few trillion beings that live symbiotically together. And unfortunately these technologies we've developed like soap, um, that help protect us against these bad guys are killing these good guys. And we can look at, um, um, you know, the more hygienic our environment is now, in many ways, the higher our disease risk of chronic illness as opposed to communicable disease. And so there's got to be a balance. And that balance takes really understanding how things like drugs, food, hormones, the chemicals and plastics, sleep, right? Like, all of these things, how they interact with both these really important creatures that live in and on our bodies, but also these things that like, yeah, like nobody really wants to get that, you know, flu or cold virus or pneumonia or right. Tuberculosis or these things that are really horrible, right. Polio, measles, things that kill people. Um, and so, I can see where we got this understanding of sanitization being super important. Right. And it just comes from our, the history of our understanding of microscopic beings. We understood the bad guys before we understood the good guys. But then you go, okay, well people who grew up on farms and are around cow patties all day have a lower risk of these diseases. So what can we learn from that? And I think, Part of this is retraining us, right? It's not natural for us to be afraid of dirt. If you look at babies, <laughs> babies go outside, they crawl around in the grass, they find a rock and they stick it in their mouth. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's not a natural instinct for us to be terrified of rock. But the mother comes sweeping in and scoops the rock out of the mouth and washes the hands and makes the baby feel like they've done something wrong. So it's something that we've trained ourselves over generations because of this you know, uh, recognition of pathogens and not really understanding where they are. And, um, and we've ended up culturally magnifying this desire for sterility, yeah. even yeah. though what it's actually doing is hurting us. So it takes sort of like this recognition that dirt is okay, um, good, clean dirt, right. and that um, actually... You know, being around animals is a is a great thing for kids to to grow up with. Um, that playing in the dirt is an amazing thing. That eating some dirt is an amazing thing. Um, and there's probably a huge part of that phase that babies go through where they want to sample their environment um, orally, so they they are licking everything. I mean, I can remember my oldest when she was five months old and she was slither crawling. So she'd like army crawl on her belly and she was fast. She was super fast and she became obsessed with one of our cats, which was fine with the cat cause he was kind of obsessed with her, but she would chase him around the house to try to lick him. And it was the first time I ever said a sentence. I was like, wow, that's a sentence I never thought I would have to say before, which was honey, don't lick the cat. Right? And I was like, Wow. Motherhood is full of, I mean, you do, you really say a lot of things you never thought you'd have to say out loud <laughs> in your life as a mother. Um, and you know, looking back on that, I probably still would discourage her licking the cat because I don't think he was the cleanest cat in the world. But, um, but I think that it, it takes, really, uh, it's like, it will take a whole generation of us to retrain ourselves as parents to like embrace dirt. We went on a hike, gosh, this was like last fall now. And we had brought, um, like cliff kit bars as a snack. So we've got this lovely wooded trail, not far from our house. And, and at about the 45 minute mark, there's this rock overlooking the river and we can go and we sit. So we bring, we bring water and we bring like a little snack to have on this rock and we sit and then we hike back to the car. And, um, my, now she's nine and a half. So then she would have been about eight and a half year old dropped, unwrapped her cliff kit bar and dropped it in the dirt. And she started to cry. And I said, Oh, it's fine. It's just good, clean dirt and she was like really it's fine i was like yeah go ahead like it's she picked it up and she ate it and it was like liberating for her cuz she really needed a snack after like that age that's a long hike for that that age and you know i felt proud of myself as a mother like my mom used to say you've got to eat a peck of dirt in your life and my mom was not a super sterile person but she was also like you'd come in from outside and was wash your hands wash your hands before you eat and there was a lot of a lot of hand washing Um, and I, I mean, I, uh, I now knew this year, wash my kid's hair once a week prior to this year, once a month was kind of a special treat if it was that often that I washed their hair. And it, it really just has to do with like my nine and a half year old is, starting some early puberty stuff and her hair is getting greasy and it's just hormones and it's a different it's a different thing and my six-year-old hair is getting really long and she's um it, it just she can't and she has to have it up for her dance classes and it's a lot easier if it's been freshly washed yeah. but like i just never i never got into like i have to bathe my kids every day but i think it takes right if we're gonna let if we're going to really embrace the beneficial organisms in our, uh, lives. It takes a whole generation of people to kind of go like, yeah, if you're going into a hospital, wash your hands, right? Like wash your hands when you get home from school. But if you're playing in the backyard, eh, it's good dirt. And then let's go find a farm to frolic in. Prolific farms, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go hiking in the woods. Let's, you know, and finding these opportunities almost to expose ourselves to these other microorganisms. So it's, you know, I get it. I, like I, I understand where that came from. Um, we trained ourselves, so now we have to untrain it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah it's. They. I borrowed this from. Uh, I got it from Gobor Mate. I don't know where he got it from, but um, in reference to like swimming in a pool that could potentially kill you. You know, if you don't know how to swim, you know, but it's not—it's not the water that kills you. It's that you didn't know how to swim in the thing, you know. And so it's like we're constantly bombarded by all of this, you know, stuff being bacteria, or microorganisms, or what have you. But if we're able to actually, you know, become integrated or incorporated with it from a young age, you know, or at any time, you know, you yeah. figured it out later on, or you know, I—I I did. I know a lot of people that have. It's like the relationship can still be mended. <laughs>
1: You know. so I like to think of them as my pets, right. right? Like, I gotta feed my pets the right food to keep them healthy. It happens to be a lot of vegetables. Like, I don't want to like kill all my pets by using harsh soaps on my skin. Like, I've got pets who live there. I'm gonna look after them. And I, I mean, yes, I do spend more time looking after my actual cat. But you know, when I think of these, you know, few trillion you know microorganisms that live in and on my body when i think of them in terms of like i have to look after them because they look after me and i think of them in the same kind of way as like i have to scoop out the litter box and put down fresh water and get the good quality food and pet i cat i don't actually pet my bacteria cats actually need love i don't think bacteria need cuddle time but um but yeah but i think of it in that framework suddenly choices take on a different meaning, right? So like I need to eat vegetables in order to keep that diversity of bacteria growing in my digestive tract. And I need to avoid harsh chemicals in order to protect my skin microbiome. So when I think of it in that, that framework, suddenly it becomes a lot easier. And I feel like, and yes, Antibiotics are life-saving medications and I had pneumonia earlier this year and I had to go on antibiotics and I felt very bad for the mass genocide that I was creating <laughs> in my digestive tract. But I knew I had, I mean, I was really sick and I had to do it. And um, and then I did all the things to grow a new group of pets. Um, so I think that so much of this is awareness and um, just retraining ourselves in terms of what are better choices. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I think yeah. of it as, as farming, farming myself, farming an errand, you know? And it's like, so every time that I'm eating something or touching something or licking your cat or whatever, it's like, I'm colonizing my microbiome, you know? And when I have like, I haven't washed my hair for, for years and you know, people might find that disgusting, but your body figures it out. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's like your body yep. will adapt to whatever the freak environment you put it in we just put it in this like coddled blanket environment all the time but I was like all right I'm not gonna do anything <laughs>
1: you know? it's like... well it's, it's liberating to because so many of the things that we can let go of when we're protecting our uh, microorganisms um, so many of the things that we can let go of are like time-consuming like washing hair, like with soap, I, I mean, know. I wash my hair with mud and mushed up plants like once a week, right. Awesome. As opposed to the harsh chemicals every day. And then you have to blow or dry it out and then you have to style it and then you put in more chemicals in. And like, it's a completely different time commitment for me. Um, like, and to the point where I'm like, yeah, know, I just sweat it at the gym. It's fine. I'll just throw on some clothes. I don't need to shower. If you've got a healthy skin microbiome, you don't smell. And, um, and so there's so many things that I think we can let go of like, ah, eh, yep. You dropped your one and only snack in the dirt. Oh, well eat it anyway. Like but there's so many things we get to let go of. And then it becomes, it's, I mean, it, I mean, I love time. Time's like my favorite thing. So whatever gives me more time, always my favorite, like fallback day, best day of the year, better than Christmas, a whole hour. Someone just gave me an hour spring forward day, worst day of the year. Absolutely worse than Worse than the birthday I'm about to have. Oh, spring forward day is horrible. But um, but fall back day, amazing. And so, you know, when I can like save myself, probably cumulative an hour a week in hair washing. Yeah. That's that's an hour.
0: Woohoo! What do you put it? What do you put in your in your mud vegetable hair mix? I never heard that before.
1: Uh, I actually buy a pre-made okay. mud pushed-up <laughs> plant mix. So. I actually, there's there's a a good company that makes shampoos that are all clay and and plant extracts, and I've been using them for four and a half years. Um, And I was completely no poo for almost a year before that, so I was using like apple cider vinegar every three weeks. Cool. Cool. Um, But I had short hair. Apple cider vinegar is not sufficient for long hair. Mm. It's just. It's a different thing. It's a different beast.
0: And so, uh, along with like the the uh, being able to swim in the pool analogy, I think that your incapacity to swim is kind of dependent upon the amount of stressors that you have in your life. You know, so it's like you can think of all these stressors as like balls that you're juggling. You know, and if you can really integrate with your environment, all of a sudden it just becomes one big basketball. You're like. I got it.
1: <laughs> I can hold it with my I fingers. Can it, yeah, I can hold it, I can spit it. I mean, I, I can't Can't actually spit. I mean, I'd love to be able to.
0: Seconds at least. You know, but so are yeah. there some kind of, of these, do you have any, any thoughts on how to kind of consolidate the balls?
1: I mean, I think one really big one is living in sync with the sun. And uh, it's something that's so hard for, I mean, it's a challenge for clearly for people who you know work shifts like that's clearly their challenge, but it's a challenge for everybody. We have this tendency, right? Sun goes down at seven p.m., we go to bed at midnight. That is not in sync with the sun. If sun goes down at seven, we should be going to bed between nine and ten, like two to three hours after the sun sets. Um, And we don't have seasonality in our sleep schedules anymore. So we, you know, hunter gatherers sleep more in the winter than they do in the summer. That's a really important thing. We don't have seasonality in our indoor temperatures. We don't have seasonality in our sleep schedules, right? We use indoor lighting, oh, the suns go down, I just turn on a light. And um, and that messes with our sleep quality because it's sending the wrong signals to our brain. Our sleep is regulated by how our brain senses that it's day or night. And if it's light out, our brains can't tell it's night. And, um, and similarly, like indoor lighting is not enough for our brains to really know it's daytime. It's just enough to really confuse our brains completely. And that erodes our sleep. So I think living in sync with the sun, shifting our sleep schedules so that we're going to bed earlier and getting up earlier, um, and then mimicking the light outside indoors as much as we can. So keeping lights dim when the sun goes down, um, making sure we get outside or that we use like light therapy boxes during the day so that we can have that bright light exposure during the day. And then the same with the thermostat. Thermostat needs to be lower when it's cold outside. Um, we can put on sweaters. It's a sweaters are a thing that exists. It was a really amazing technology invented. I'm pretty sure a while ago. It's a big deal. Uh, yeah. Right. And we <laughs> right. And like normally it's cooler at night than it is during the day. So we can set our thermostats to be cooler at night. And generally, I mean, okay, if we're setting it to be cooler at night in the summer, that's going to use more energy. Um, But then if everything's 10 degrees warmer in the summer compared to the winter, like it doesn't mean we have to live outside. And it doesn't mean we need to be like getting frostbite in our houses. Like that's not, but we can shift it and still enjoy this luxury of, Indoor heating and air conditioning, um, but shift it so that we're still getting seasonality and we're still getting a, a day-night cycle, and that has a tremendous impact on how well we're sleeping, how well our stress hormones regulate. Like it, and it's something that is so easy to do. It's just a knob. We just then it's done. Um, right, that's it. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure that's how it works, um, but but it's such um, it's such a small change to make that has a really big difference. Um, to just think about the sun and yeah. synchronizing our the structure of our lives with what the sun's doing.
0: There's a concept, rhythmic entrainment, you know, which is, you know, when you, when you bring various different waves of similar, similar wavelengths together, all of a sudden that increases the amplitude, you know, and that's kind of what you're explaining. Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, almost, we, um, every form of life on earth has biological processes that cycle with a 24 hour clock. Including many 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 different biological processes in us and so we need to respect that and need to respect that if we Artificially interfere with the signals for that cycle cycle the signals for that clock We're messing with a, a pretty fundamental and ancient system within our bodies mm.
0: Yeah. And then looking at the exercise that you get from that fluctuation, you know, expansion, contraction, bicep curl, whatever, you know, it's like that same thing's happening every time you look over the horizon, you know, you have ciliary muscles in your, muscle, in, in your eyeballs, you know, it's like, same thing happens when you contract and relax depending upon the temperature of the room, you know, and, and it's these correlations with happiness and depression of not getting that fluctuation. That's a big deal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so, so... Living in sync with the sun, or living out of sync of the sun, out living out of sync with the sun, is a risk factor for depression. Right. Um, poor sleep is a risk factor for depression. We know that um, high quality sleep, which you get when you think about, you know the the rhythms of the outside world, is one of the best things that we can do for mood and mental health. Yeah. And then when you're well rested and you're, you know, your sleep quality is really good and your mood is good, suddenly you're more motivated to move around. Uh, suddenly people actually crave more fruits and vegetables. So they naturally steer clear of fast foods and naturally choose healthier whole foods just by going to bed earlier and getting enough sleep. Like it's, it's just, it, it really is that simple. And yet most of us don't do it. Like even within like statistics say that basically 65% of Americans are not getting enough sleep ever, but it's not just right. That's like a generalization. And most of us within the alternative health community, we go well, like, well, we've got it together. Cause I eat my grass fed liver and my kale. And then, and then we go, but even within our community, late bedtimes, giving up sleep for everything else on our to-do list is still really prevalent. And it's, Fundamental for every other system in our body, but also it even influences our choices during the day. It makes eating and choosing that grass-fed liver and kale much easier, which is still good for most of us. It makes deciding I'm going to go out for my hike or whatever it is much easier, um, and it makes um, it sort of brings those worlds together. Of you know, when you're thinking clearly, you're really productive. You're motivated to move. You're making better food choices. You kind of get the best of an ancestral template along with the best of modern society kind of come together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, what what was the hard time that you got to get out of here? It was it was like 10 minutes? I got
1: 10 minutes. 10
0: yeah. minutes. Um, so I mean,
1: it's just saying they don't let my kids off the school bus if I'm not at the curb. That's and then they're stuck. They're stuck on the school bus. And I have to follow the school bus in my car <laughs> Until it gets back to the school. Isn't that kind of
0: crazy? Do you think I mean, that's I, crazy or do you think that's 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 the legitimate safe? Like where do you live in Harlem or something?
1: Yes. <laughs> suburbs <laughs> Suburbs of Atlanta. Um it's pretty much the same. No, uh, you know, it is a different world. Like when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones. But you know, my brother and I used to just hop on our bikes and we would bike miles and miles and miles. You know, we would we would go on a 20-30 mile bike ride um on the weekend and we we had we could have been anywhere. And, like if we hadn't come home, I don't even like I guess they would have looked at a 30 mile radius of where we could be. Um we had no way of communicating and I mean I can remember wiping out on my bike on a gravel trail and having like road rash all the way up my leg. I'm like ah, right, gotta bike home. That's right. It's your only option.
0: That's adaptation. No...
1: Right. Uh, it builds character. Yeah. There's character Tom, building back then.
0: Tom Myers calls it house arrest. Said kids are in house arrest. You know, it's like it's like, you go to the school, you get on the bus, you get in the car, you get in the house, and you do it again. I think that that's a, a real issue. I mean, not to critique your, you know, what's happening. I mean, it is, it is true whole... though
1: that that the the world is not a safe place. Um, I mean, even when you t- like, not even talking about like the really terrible stuff, but if you even just think about the number of cars on the road compared to like when I was a kid, families had one car and you would, you know, if it was two working, you know, parents, one would drop off the other one at work and then they would go to their work and then they would pick each other up and they would come home together. Or one would take public transportation. Um, you know, nowadays it's, a, a car per person over 16 in the house plus a car for the you know person who's renting the basement suite and you know it, and then maybe there's the extra car because there's just another car why not have an extra car Got to. Got to. and so i just think about like when i was a kid riding my bike on the roads like the roads weren't busy and i go to that same area now when i go home to visit and like i'm stuck in a traffic jam on these roads that i used to be able to ride my bike down the middle of the lane. Um, So I think, you know, it's, it's you then have to teach your kids a very different survival skill set. Like our survival skill set was don't get lost, come home before dark. Like that was, that was, that was it. And now it's like, don't get lost. Don't get hit by a car. Don't, right. Don't get in a car. Don't, you know, like, and also come home before dark and then let me know if anything bad happens with your cell phone, because, you know, kids all have to have cell phones now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I just I would I would argue that we are potentially starving our little people of the potential to adapt to environments. So then when you do go to Bangkok, you're like Oh you
1: know like I don't know. It's like a whole generation of, of kids who will no longer be able to do the great European tour or summer trip anymore. Um, you know, I think as a parent for me, like, I really value my kids' unstructured time. So I try to find that balance between introducing them to lots of, like, really cool things that could become lifelong hobbies. So uh, swim lessons and dance class and um, they take a you know a drama class and um, and I try to, like, they take piano lessons, right? So it's like I try to find these things that are, like, amazing ways to – Broaden their horizons without overstructuring their lives and really being able to protect that. Go in the backyard. Nope, you cannot bring your book. And just, nope, half an hour. And it's always an hour. They're like, is half an hour up yet? Nope. It's half an hour up. Nope, go back. And just, just play with the rocks and the sticks and the mud, wander around between the trees. And I really, um, I really encourage that unstructured time outside looking at bugs or tearing apart the shrubbery because, I mean, they're kids, Um, but like whatever it is, just spend time outside. Because for me, that was an integral part of growing up was um, just being, you know, I used to, I used to make something, it was called witch's brew it was whatever like bits of plants I could put in a bucket with rainwater and I would just smush it. Maybe have some dirt, right? Stir it around, check on it at three days later, see if it smelled really bad yet. Um, you know, my, uh, my cats used to like to come home with snakes and I grew up, there was no poisonous snakes, so that would be different. Some other places we would, they would be alive. So we would like nurse them back to health in like buckets with like moss and leaves and stuff. And then we'd like, release them into the wild. And, you know, I love that exploration of tamed nature in that kind of regard. So like for my kids here in Atlanta, it's like, we'll find a box turtle in the backyard. Hey, let's watch this box turtle crawl around. Um, Or we'll find um, a really amazing caterpillar and we'll, you know, let it make its cocoon in a jar and then we'll release it when it, comes out of its cocoon right like those experiences I think can be done within the confines of a backyard Mm -hmm. um but still I think have this amazing right it's a connection with nature and it's a, a way of thinking about the world in this unstructured un no screens environment that I think with any luck means they would Survive a weekend in Bangkok.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so we only have exactly six minutes before you yeah. absolutely need to go. And so I, one thing I'm kind of curious about, I think you'd be probably the perfect person to ask is the personality of our gut micro, microbiome and the, uh, what they're hungry for and how what we eat dictates their appetite. You know, so with that, as, as you're eating, you're, you're, you're colonizing that place. So, is that a thing? You know, is that is when I'm hungry? Like, what is, and and the thing that I'm hungry for, what is it that? You know, how well, do we d- develop. There's that
1: so also? many different. There's so many different inputs to that signal, right? So, yes, part of it is the signals that your microbiome is sending, right? Cause they have amazing control over neurotransmitters and hormone regulation and the immune system, but so much of that too is your body's need, right? So. We have nutritional needs, and in a in the context of not hyperpalatable foods that are sort of breaking our ability to listen to our bodies, um, we tend to crave foods that we recognize as being rich in whatever the thing is that we're missing. So, like, what your bacteria mostly want is for you to eat whole fruits and vegetables that have. Um, fiber and that fiber is very, very rich in antioxidants, which creates a very healthful environment for them. But you need more than that, right? Like, yes, there's lots of great vitamins and minerals in those foods, but you also need right high quality fats and high quality protein. And yep, all those phytochemicals are great. But I think, you know, when it comes to really being able to eat intuitively, um, it takes not ever being super broken because being being super broken makes that really hard to ever get back completely. Like I can't eat intuitively. I, when I eat intuitively, I overeat. And that comes yeah. from history of overeating and binge eating disorder. Yeah. But at the same time, I will definitely crave oysters. They're super high in zinc, I'm probably low on zinc. Um, so I still have parts of that signaling that's working well and then other parts that aren't. But for somebody who's never been that broken, I think eating intuitively reflects not just our symbiotic community of microorganisms needs, but also our own, right? Our own cells are telling us what they need. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cool. cool. I dig it. I dig it. Um, so you got to go. Uh, where do people find more about you? I just so greatly it's it's always wonderful getting to connect with you and
1: I mean nerding out is like my favorite thing and that's what we just did. So I love it.
0: Yeah. So what's how do people learn learn more? Get get the books, get the podcast, get the all the stuff.
1: All the things. All so the my website is Home Central for Everything, And from there you can link to my books. You can learn about my new books eventually when I talk about them more. You can learn about my podcasts and my YouTube channel and my television show pilot and I don't even know what else I do all my social media sites man I sound busy all of a sudden don't I mm. huh a little bit um, but yeah the paleomom.com is home central and that's of course where I post all kinds of super dorky nerding out articles and recipes and practical resources and whatever inspires me to work on at the at the time I love it
0: Thank you so much hopefully Thanks. I will see you see you pronto.
1: I hope so, too.
0: Yeah, cool. All right. We're out! Thank you. That was great. I appreciate it.
1: No Um, problem
0: instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car and it's like a physical therapist and a massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it and I look forward to hearing your comments. Alright, bye.